God looks for gradual change in us to be made more and more like Christ. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is sanctification? Am I already sanctified? Is it a work that God does? Or do I have any involvement in it? What difference does it make if I'm sanctified? This week on the Bible Truth Podcast, Bill Prost will give an overview of sanctification and its two primary aspects. If you have any questions on this topic or on what we have covered in the past, please contact us at info at BibleTruthPodcast.com. Okay, welcome back to the Bible Truth Podcast. Today, we are taking up the subject of sanctification. So, Brother Bill, whenever you're ready, please go ahead and get started. Well, thank you very much, Josh. Uh, As you have already pointed out, the subject of sanctification is an important one and is mentioned a number of times in the Word of God. Let's turn, first of all, to a verse in Hebrews chapter 10 where we get sanctification brought before us. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 9 to get the connection. Then said he, that is the Lord Jesus, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second that is referring to the first covenant and then, of course, the new covenant. Verse 10, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And then perhaps another verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 11. Well, prior to that, In verses 9 and 10, the Apostle Paul details some rather serious sins and those that were characterized by them. And then he says in in, uh, verse 11, And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. We have already spoken about justification in another podcast, and here we find sanctification connected with it. So what does sanctification mean? The word simply means to set apart. And in spiritual things, it means to be completely set apart for God. In that sense, it is very much connected with holiness. God tells us in his word, be ye holy, for I am holy. 
Notice that he does not say, be ye holy as I am holy. That would imply that we could be as holy as God is. That will not be true until we get home to be with him. But in this world, God wants to see holiness displayed in our lives. And thus there must be sanctification or setting apart. We might call this first aspect of sanctification about which we have read in these two verses, positional sanctification. What do we mean by that? We mean that when we come to Christ as lost, guilty, helpless sinners and accept the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, accept the fact that there is nothing good in us toward God, then we receive a new life in Christ and God sets us apart. We might use an analogy, and perhaps it loses something in these days of automatic dishwashers. But when I was growing up, we did the dishes by hand. We were always very careful after we had washed a certain dish to set it apart from the dirty ones. The dirty dishes were on one side. The clean dishes were on the other side. And we did not mix the two. And so in that sense, God sets us apart from those in this world who are not saved. Everything in this world has to do with sin. It is a world governed by Satan, at least for the moment. And God does not want us to be part of that once he has given us new life in Christ and once we are indwelt by the Spirit of God. And so there is <clears throat> positional sanctification. And as we read in Hebrews 10, it is once for all. It's beautiful to see that. The finished work of Christ never needs to be repeated, nor can we ever lose our salvation so that we have to be positionally sanctified all over again. I might mention, just as an aside, that there can never be any real joy in our lives unless we realize the full truth that God's work through Christ on the cross, or I should say perhaps the work of Christ on the cross, for which God sent him into this world, sanctifies us once for all. If we still feel somehow, some way, that there is some good in that old sinful self and that there is something we can do toward making ourselves more holy or more sanctified in the eyes of God, that is a mistake. But then that brings us to another aspect of sanctification, which we might call progressive sanctification. And we get that thought in the word of God, too. Let's turn to 1 Thessalonians 5 to see one verse, at least, and there are several that bring that before us. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse, well, we'll read verse 22 and we'll see the connection. 
it says in verse 22, abstain from all appearance of evil, or as it could read in a more accurate translation, abstain from every form of evil. And then it says in verse 23, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly or completely. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. That means that God looks for growth in our Christian life. When we are first saved, there is a tremendous joy in our hearts as we realize the wonderful position into which God has brought us. But then we find out very quickly, and perhaps to our sorrow, that that old sinful self is still there, that we are still capable of the sinful actions which we did before we were saved. God looks for gradual change in us to be made more and more like Christ. What a beautiful thing that is. And so God talks here, and again, this is not the only scripture which refers to this. We'll look at another one in a couple of minutes. But God wants to see us completely set apart. Now, again, will that happen down here? No. But God never sets before us an example any less than that of his beloved son. Are we going to be completely like Christ when the Lord comes and takes us home? Yes, we will. But does God want us to wait for that day? No, by no means. He wants to see us become more and more like Christ while we are still down here in this world. That is a wonderful thing. And there are those who would say, what's the point of all that? Why should we do that? I believe we get the answer, and we won't turn to it, but it's in Romans 6 in the first verse, where it says, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. What kind of testimony is a believer in this world who says, I am truly saved, I have a new life in Christ. I am indwelt by the Spirit of God. I'm on my way to heaven. But then his lifestyle and his outlook are no different from someone who is not saved. What kind of testimony is that? The world may look on and say, well, why should I get saved? And unfortunately, and this has happened even more and more in my estimation in the last 50 years. Satan has persuaded people, especially in so-called Western countries, that you can be saved. 
You can know where you're going when you leave this world. You can know for sure that you are going to heaven, but you don't have to change your lifestyle. You can go on and live just as you want in this world because Satan knows that that kind of a believer is no testimony for Christ and more important, bears no fruit for him. In John chapter 15, it speaks about fruit bearing and how important it is to bear fruit in this world for the Lord. But we cannot bear fruit for him if we are deliberately and willfully going on in an unholy walk and allowing sin in our lives. Would you see it that way, Josh? Yes, I would, Bill. And I think it's great that you bring that out because one of the dangers is that we might separate the positional completely from the practical. And what I mean by that is that we might be content with the positional sanctification, but then say, I don't need to worry about the practical or progressive sanctification. But God's mind is for us to be both positionally and practically set apart for him. That's what he wants. We're a peculiar people, a precious treasure, and he wants us to be here for him. So I think that's very, very good. I have enjoyed another aspect of it, and that is that in the Apostle Paul's ministry, he repeatedly emphasizes the kingdom of God and the things concerning the kingdom of God. Why was that? He emphasized, of course, the gospel of the grace of God. That had to come first because we cannot exhibit the character of God's kingdom unless we have a new life in Christ. That is, I believe, why the Lord Jesus could say to his disciples, again, we won't turn to it, but it's in Luke's gospel, where he warned not only his disciples, but the other people who were listening to him, that they should not look around them for a visible kingdom, but rather, he said, the kingdom of God is within you, but that should read more accurately, the kingdom of God is among you. He was referring to himself. Did they want to see the character of God's kingdom? It was there in his person for all to see. And there were those, I believe, that recognized that. There was the rich young ruler who came to the Lord there was a man like Nicodemus who came to the Lord because I believe they saw in him the character of the kingdom of God. And without wanting to read into scripture what isn't there, I believe they came thinking, I am going to find out what his secret is. How does he do it? And they had to realize that in their human energy and human strength, they could not do it. Nicodemus was pulled up short. He must be born again. But again, that leads to practical sanctification. And that's why after he preached the gospel, Paul emphasized the things concerning the kingdom of God, because he knew 
that believers would not be able to go on and grow in their Christian lives unless they paid attention to sanctification and holiness in their lives. But that brings me to another scripture that I believe is sometimes misunderstood in John's Gospel, chapter 17. I have enjoyed it very much, but it's an unusual way of putting it. Notice that the Lord Jesus says in verse 17, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. There we have, again, progressive sanctification. Thy word is truth. And so it is through the reading and the obeying of the word of God that we are progressively sanctified. But then, does the Lord Jesus mean us to be so isolated from this world that we have no contact with it? There are some that feel that way, and it started a way back as early on as the fourth century after Christ, where men and women started to isolate themselves in monasteries and convents, sometimes acting as hermits, holding themselves up in little cabins away off in the woods somewhere, or even putting themselves up on little platforms on poles supposedly to be completely separate from any contamination from this world. Did that work? Oh, no. All it did was minister to pride. That is not the way of progressive sanctification. And God never calls us to be isolationists, but he does call us to be separate. And that's why it says in verse 18 of John 17, as thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. We are sent into the world to be in the world as we get earlier in the chapter, but not of the world. And so then the Lord says in verse 19, and this to me is beautiful. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also might be sanctified through the truth. What does that mean? We speak with all reverence. Does the Lord Jesus need to sanctify himself so that he can become more holy? Oh, no. That's blasphemy. That is not the thought. The thought is, rather, that the Lord Jesus is no longer in this world he is now up there in heaven. And the secret I would suggest to progressive sanctification is to have our eyes on a risen Christ in glory. That is our home. That is where we belong. That is where our thoughts, our hopes, everything about us should be centered. And if that is so, than in being occupied with Christ, who is now not only morally separated from this world, but also physically separated from it, 
you and I will be enabled and have the strength to go out into the world and be a testimony to it and yet not be in that sense connected with it and all of the sin and filth and other influences that are out there in the world. When the Lord Jesus rose from the dead and ascended back to heaven, he takes a place of being sanctified and you and I are to have our thoughts and our hopes connected with him. And that enables us in turn to walk through this world as he did. Was he accessible in this world? Indeed he was. Was there any difficulty with anyone's approaching him or wanting to see him, wanting to talk to him? Absolutely not. He was the most accessible of men. But on the other hand, there was separation. For example, we never read of the Lord going into a Sadducee's house. They taught bad doctrine. He would go into a Pharisee's house, but not a Sadducee's. We never read of the Lord associating himself with that which was sinful or degraded. We never read of his doing anything that smacked, if I could use the term, of advertising himself. His own family urged him to do that. They said, if you're going to do something, show yourself to the world. Get out there. Make something of yourself. No, he didn't do that. And when they wanted to make him a king, what did he do? He retired to the desert places. He didn't, it wasn't his time to take his place as the rightful king. So I mentioned that to show the character of our interaction with from this world. But at the same time, to have before us the one who is now sanctified and who for our sakes is up there in glory as the object of our thoughts and our hopes. Does that commend itself, Josh? Yeah, absolutely it does. And it, I think it brings out really that perfect balance between the negative and the positive aspects of of separation. It's It's interesting that when you get separation in scripture it's it's from something but it's always to something and specifically to the lord and the the order the order is important if we are just looking to separate ourselves from evil and that only we can very easily fall into what you might call a legal frame of mind because sanctification and separation, it's first positive, then negative. And the negative will actually, it seems to me at least, that it'll follow automatically if the positive is there. Uh, when the heart is is fixed on Christ, when our when our focus is on Christ and our hearts are filled with him, then then the, the negative aspect, although it's it's still important and we still have those scriptures that take that up like in 1 Thessalonians 4 about knowing how to possess our vessel and sanctification and honor and abstaining from fornication and all of those things which are very important. That will follow when the positive aspect is there. Would you agree with that, Bill? Amen. Amen. 
And that is why those who put themselves into monasteries and convents and became hermits and so on did not achieve what they were expecting to. Was it separation from? Indeed it was. But it was not separation unto. Now, again, I don't want to be misunderstood. There were godly men and women who went into monasteries and convents, and the Lord used them because some of them acted with the light that they had at that time. But Scripture never teaches us that. It teaches us that there is a separation unto. And if I am separated unto Christ, then being filled with all that he is will keep me from that legality that you talked about a moment ago. A brother once pointed out to me that whenever you establish a legal standard, inevitably there arises a double standard. Hmm. I thought it was a very important point. And then he told me about some dear brethren, for example, who were very strongly against playing sports but then they had a very convoluted and complicated explanation as to why golf was not a sport because they all like to play golf. And that's what happens. Sorry, though, you were going to say something. I was just going to mention um, something the Lord said to Israel in Matthew 12, and it's more of an application of what he said, but you can tell me what you think of it. Uh, in verse 43 of Matthew 12, he said, When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest and findeth none. Then he saith, I will return unto my house from whence I came out. And when he come, he findeth it empty, swept, and garnished. Then goeth he and taketh with himself seven other spirits, more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first even so it shall be also unto this wicked generation and i believe the lord is speaking to israel and the fact that they rejected him meant that they were opening themselves up to receiving something that was that was seven times worse than what they had before but i think the the application is that if we put out that which is evil out of our lives but we don't have the positive aspect that you mentioned that occupation with Christ filling our lives with him and his service filling our hands with the work that he has given us to do then it's like that that man who when the unclean spirit goes out of him he says it's a house empty swept and garnished it's empty yes the evil has been put out but it's empty and so without the positive side of it, without filling our lives with that which is wholesome, namely with Christ, then that same unclean spirit comes back and brings with him seven others. So it's so important to have both of those things to separate from what is evil, but but then to fill our, our lives, fill our hands, fill our hearts with Christ and his work, and then there will be no room for that. Would you agree with that? Yes, very much so. As you say, it refers in that particular scripture primarily to Israel. And it's very noteworthy that the awful 
idolatry for which God had to allow them to be carried away into captivity never recurred after they were brought back from the captivity. Once they came back to the land uh, under Zerubbabel and others, <clears throat> as recorded in the book of Ezra, they never once, as far as we can read from scripture, fell into idolatry again. But they did not embrace Christ himself. And to me, it's very significant without being complicated about it, that in Isaiah, you get eight chapters speaking about God's controversy with Israel for worshiping idols. But then following that, you get eight chapters where God takes up his controversy with Israel for rejecting their Messiah. And I've thought how solemn that is. Yes, they dealt with the idolatry, but they rejected their Messiah. And thus the house was empty and ready for even worse idolatry, which of course will happen during the tribulation. Very good. I was just thinking too, Bill, maybe just a couple of, of notes on practically in my everyday life, what are some of the things that, we can do to be sanctified and to further that work that God is doing of setting us apart for himself. Would you have any words you might say in summary on that? I guess I would apply that verse primarily in John 17, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As we know very well, inevitably when we go out into the world, uh, to use the Lord's own analogy, our feet get dirty. In contact with the world, we, of necessity, encounter attitudes and talk and things that we see that have a potentially defiling influence on us. And the only way we can get rid of that is to have the word of God before us. And so I believe it's most important to read the word of God. But having said that, it is not enough simply to read the word of God. I need to let it enter into my heart, let it affect my conscience, and be ready to obey it so that uh, a verse comes to mind in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 which I have often appreciated in this uh, very thing, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And the last verse, it says there, but we all, verse 18, with open face or unveiled face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory. And there it says, even as by the spirit of the Lord. And so the spirit of the Lord is there to use the word of God to make me more like Christ. And if I want to be more like Christ, we can depend on the Lord to work it in us. But there needs to be diligence in reading his word, diligence in obedience and walking in it, and diligence in judging those things which perhaps I may find in my own life 
that I am, shall I say, especially prone to. Certain things tempt certain people, and what tempts you may not tempt me, and vice versa. And so we need to be ready to deal with those things, to confess them as sin, and to ask for the Lord's help in putting them out of our lives. And of course, that goes into what we already had in the podcast on deliverance from the power of sin in our lives. What a resource the Word of God is for us and the Spirit of God to bring it out and make it good to us. And I was just thinking of one final thought was that when God looks down into this world and he sees someone, a believer that is practically separated unto him, it's a precious thing. And Mm. he can have communion in a special way with us when we are separated unto him. I was just thinking of Psalm 24 Verse 3, who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. We've been made fit for the presence of God. We can come inside the veil because we've been sanctified once for all through the body of the Lord Jesus. But how blessed it is to be able to walk in communion with him. And that one of the things that will help us to do that is to be practically separated unto him. Amen. Well, is there anything you would like to add, Bill? Only one other little thing, and it's found in Second Peter chapter 1. And that is, it says in verse 2, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you, and notice, through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us, and it should read more accurately, by glory and virtue. That is, the word of God is there, but properly read, the word of God brings us even beyond the mere word of God. And I don't say, I say that very reverently, but it brings us to the actual knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And that, that kind of knowledge gives us in this world, all things that pertain unto life and godliness. If there is anything that I need to know in order to live a life for God's glory down here in this world, I will find it through the word of God and in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Wonderful. A relationship with God and with the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And that is, as you say, the positive aspect of it. Hmm. If I have Christ in my heart and I am enjoying him, there will be no room for the things of this world.
Join us next time on the Bible Truth Podcast, where we will take up the subject of propitiation and substitution, two aspects of atonement. If you have any questions, please email us at info at BibleTruthPodcast.com.